We welcome you all to our live broadcast this Sunday, October 10, 2021. Shall we pray? In Jesus' name we pray. Our Father and our God, we have come before your throne of grace to hear your word. Father, we have come that you open the hearts and eyes of your children to see the world the way you see it. To see a world in its final descent into chaos. We pray, O oh Lord our God, that you will put the burden on your children to rise up and contend and preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. To drown out the false messaging around so that many in bondage may hear the good news and be delivered. We plead the blood of Jesus Christ upon all the hearers or those who watch this broadcast in their homes, in their families, or those who listen to the podcast, or those who go to our websites for that teaching, Lord. Open their eyes and their hearts. And all they hear, Lord, may drive them to go back to the Bible, to read and to be in your presence that they may establish that relationship with you and with no human being. We give you all the praise and honor, Father God. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Praise the Lord. The instrumental is taken from our brother Caleb Brassi. May the Lord continue to bless him and his family. In Jesus' name. Today's topic, Jesus wept. The outline, Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. Two, why did Jesus weep? Three, we're going to compare worldly glamour with eternal bliss, which is what those who inherit eternal life will have. And at the end of the message, we'll be asking both you and I, what's our choices? Or what are our choices? Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. First scripture, please. I read from John chapter 11, verses 11 to 27. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Verse 14. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. 15. And for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, 
If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Praise the Lord for the reading of his word. Many of us who are believers know this uh, incident. So I'm going to continue from verse 14 and say, the Lord knew that Lazarus was sick because he got a message. But he waited, Lazarus died. Hence in 15 he said, Lazarus is dead and for your sake I'm glad I was not there. So that you may believe. Because he knows what is going to happen. Because he's going to use the death of Lazarus and his resurrection to demonstrate that he, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, verse 25, is the resurrection and the life. He's not talking about natural life. He is the resurrection. And the eternal life is his to give to everyone who believes. That was a statement that needed to be made. And so when Martha said, well, we know you'll be on the last, he said, no, no, don't bother. I, Jesus Christ, I am God. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live. And even though they die naturally. But whoever believes in me will never die. Because the true death is not the natural death, but eternal death. They may die physically, but spiritually they are going to live forever. In the new bodies we give them. Please note that. First scripture, please. I read from John chapter 11, verses 43 and 44. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Praise the Lord. What's the significance is not his resurrection of Lazarus from the dead, natural dead. When he said, Lazarus, come out. That call to Lazarus in the grave is analogous or is the same as the call to everyone who has not believed in this world. Both then and now to accept his sacrifice on the cross. Because whoever has not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and living in the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ is dead. The person may be physically alive, but spiritually he or she is dead. And the Lord Jesus Christ is calling them out today to come out from their spiritual death. 
He's calling every unbeliever, every backslider, every disobedient child of God because you are an unbeliever. He's standing at the doors of your heart and is asking you to come out from the grip of Satan. Come out from the grip of sin. Come out from the grip of death. So that you will be embraced by the resurrection and the life. Praise the Lord. And if you hear that call, what will happen is this. It says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Any unbeliever hearing this message now or any time in the future, if you respond to this lost call, the grave clothes, which are the clothes of sin and death, will be taken off you too by the blood of the Lamb. Because the blood of the Lamb will break the shackles of sin as you respond to his call, come out. And the devil cannot hold you back once you respond to that call. And from that moment, you that was a sinner, you become a saint. Praise the Lord. Next item. Why did Jesus weep? Pay close attention. Read all the scriptures, please. These are vision readings of John chapter 11, verse 35. The New International Version, Jesus wept. The New King James Version, Jesus wept. The New Living Translation, then Jesus wept. The New Revised Standard Version, Jesus began to weep. Praise the Lord. I purposely brought out this translation because I love the last one. Jesus began to weep. Say continuous statement. He began to weep. It brings out the enormity of it all. Was he weeping for Lazarus? I don't think so. He knew he was going to resurrect him. He's the resurrection and the life. So he was not weeping for Lazarus. And he was not weeping as some in places of commentary that have no biblical support try to say it's about his own death. Absolutely nothing. Jesus Christ, as God, knows the past, knows the present, knows the future. And at all moments in time, he sees time and outside of time. Which means, remember before the world, there was no time. Then the world came, he created time. So you have, he knows before the time. That's before the world. He knows in the time. He knows not to be outside of time. He's in a moment, he sees everything. Even in that moment, he's weeping. He can see. I hear the songs of the morning stars and the shouts of joy by the angels of God when he laid the foundations of the earth. Next scripture, please. Job chapter 38, verses 4 to 7. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Or what were its footings set? or who laid its cornerstone, while the morning stars sang together 
and all the angels shouted for joy. Praise the Lord. Even there as he's weeping, he can see in them the garden of God, the blissful world of Adam and Eve. He can see the tree of life that was in it. He can also see what would have become of humanity had Adam and Eve not disobeyed God and eaten the tree, the forbidden fruit. What would have happened had they eaten the tree of life instead? He can see what would have been the nature of human beings in the unfallen state, in a blissful world of God. Far flung in the future, even as he's weeping, he can see the joy on the faces of those who will prevail as they march into glory, bearing their shoes and into eternal life. All because of the horrible death he was about to die. Even as he was weeping, he could see the horror on the faces of those who are condemned forever as they are cast into the lake of fire because they rejected his sacrifice. That's why he was weeping. He was weeping for those who are ending up in the, in the lake of fire. He was not weeping because of those who are going to prevail and enter into eternal life. No. He was weeping for the billions that will end up in the lake of fire. Those images were passing through him as he was proceeding to the grave of Lazarus. So it was not because no Lazarus is coming out. Because the resurrection and the life is there. So what are you talking about? He was weeping because he was hurting so much. Knowing what will befall humanity that refused the free gift of eternal life. And he is weeping, wondering. How come human beings work so hard to hurt themselves? He was wondering, how could they hate themselves to such a level that they believe the lives of Satan and demons? They will take the words, their words above that of God and His Son. The weeping of Jesus at the grave of Lazarus was the first recorded one in the Gospels. The second one was when He wept over Jerusalem. During his triumphant entry into the city. Scripture please. Luke chapter 19 verses 41 to 44. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Praise the Lord. Continue the next slide, please. I continue reading verses 45 and 46. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Praise the Lord. 
41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it when he entered the temple courts. Sorry, he wept over it. When he entered the temple courts, what happened? He began to drive out those who were selling in the house of God. And he tells them in 46, it is written, My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. What a contrast. Just watch. The Son of God is weeping over this city and this nation that is about to be destroyed. But his chosen people have turned the temple into a place of commerce, buying and selling. Now, let's get it very clear. Let me make this point right here. Those who have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior are the temple of God. So when you are buying and selling, rather than weeping like Christ weeps for a dying world, you are committing exactly the same offense. Don't turn the temple of God to become a den of robbers. You are robbing God. When you, all your thoughts are about the world and the things and everything, instead of the kingdom and what God wants you to do. So let's go back to Israel. Israel was God's chosen nation. God chose them to bear good fruit so that other nations will see the goodness of God and embrace him and obey his commands. Rather than be obedient. Israel was as bad, if not worse, than other nations around them. Because to whom much is given, much is expected. Jesus wept for this people and the city. Because he saw what would befall them because of their disobedience. Because they neglected God's word. And we're only concerned with the things of the world as evident in the temple. Same can be said today. Except it is worse. Because like I said before, followers of Christ are the temples of God. But are we not desecrating them daily with our love of the world? And little or no care for the kingdom directives. Think about that as you meditate when you are in your closet. Now let's go back. Why did the Lord weep over Jerusalem? Which was just a physical place. He wept knowing what lay in store for Israel and Jerusalem. That's okay. Let me tell you the images he knew or he saw were before the Israelites. He saw a besieged city in 70 CE, that's common era, or 70 AD, as some say. That's something years after his ascension into the heavens. He already saw it, so whoever says, God is not God, God is God. He could see the sufferings of the Jews during the siege. Believe that's it lasted two, three years. The killings of the Jews by the Roman soldiers. The destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. The flight of many Israelites to foreign lands. And the persecutions they were going to be endured from the rest of the world for centuries. And then the occupation of Israel by non-Israelites for close to 2,000 years. Yes, all those things. Second reason he went over Jerusalem was what was going to happen to Jerusalem and the nation of Israel was a metaphor for the brutality that human beings will inflict on each other. 
the wars even to reclaim Jerusalem in all in the name of God the crimes against humanity that have been committed in the name of God the wickedness the racism the slavery the tribalism the lies he could see everything and knows that what will befall the world that will be when the Antichrist comes we we pale in comparison to what will befall Jerusalem and what has happened between the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD up to the time of the Antichrist reign. That time will be the greatest evil never seen or imagined since the creation of the world because the devil himself will be driving that government and God will allow him because they rejected the time of his appearing they rejected the teachings and preachings like this by men and women who have no other concern except to say please accept him go into your room continue to have a relationship with God and he will lead you and guide your paths in concluding this segment let us note that these two recorded incidents in the gospels of Jesus that's it sorry the gospels of Mark Matthew Luke and John were not the only times that the Lord Jesus Christ wept I'm sure there's no doubt he could need to weep for humanity when he went to those solitary places to pray because nobody will now record what was happening how wouldn't he he left heaven he left his throne he left his majesty he left everything to come down to die for you and I think about it for those of us who laugh each day and do what we call enjoyment I've not seen any place in the Bible where they said the Lord Jesus Christ laughed and this people shouldn't laugh but just imagine it think about it you're here you close it with him pray imagine it next item worldly glamour or eternal bliss which is it there's a chance to be made in the next segment scripture please i read from first corinthians chapter 2 verses 7 to 14. no we declare god's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that god destined for our glory before time began none of the rulers of this age understood it for if they had they would not have crucified the lord of glory however as it is written what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. Praise the Lord for his word. Verse 9. However, it is written, 
What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived. The things God has prepared for those who love Him. Who are those who love Him? Those who obey Him. What is in effect is that verse 9. He's saying no earthly words can describe God's glory. No human words. You can't. I can't. No words can describe eternal life. So we wouldn't even dare to try. The only point being made here is that it will be blasphemous to compare all the glamour of the world, all the glamour of the world from the foundation of the world to now, to just a moment in eternal life. I want you to make that picture in your mind. All the glamour, all the riches of the world cannot compare to one moment, just a moment in eternal life. Next scripture, please. I read from Psalm 126, verse 6. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. Praise the Lord. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves into eternal life. Believers in Christ who go out weeping, who are weeping for a dying world, who are crying their closets, who are saying, Lord, bless these people, open their eyes that they may know you. Those are the ones who are bearing seed for sowing, the seed which is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will come home with shouts of joy. Where is our home? In eternal life. Those who go out weeping, there's no glamour in Christianity before it became apostate. I want you, my hearers, please meditate on this scripture we just read. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. It is very important because each time in many church buildings, there's all these ragmatas, all these rejoicing and all, and I'm saying, come on. It should be weeping instead. Are you and I weeping for humanity like our Lord and Savior? Because if we're not, we are, we are not doing the right thing. What are we rejoicing about? There was a day I went someplace and people were blessing a car. <laughs> That's what you can expect those in the world. They will go out to a blessing house. Don't get me wrong. I just, uh, there's something wrong about that being what it is all about. Please. I have no problem with building houses or owning cars. I have no problem with that. But I have a problem where if somebody says a pastor, a Jew, coming to bless it and collecting money for blessing it. Can we be weeping for humanity when most of us are busy? Enjoying with the world. That's exactly what I just said. How can you weep for your neighbor? When we want to be like our neighbor, unbelieving neighbor. When our desires are for the things in the world. A world that I've just said is descending into oblivion. 
Because that's the, that's the Bible. I didn't say so. I'm only repeating what is in the Bible. How can you and I be weeping for humanity when we love associating with unbelievers? We love their jokes, we love their plays. And therefore, we are incapable of preaching the good news to them. Because we love their company. So how can you spoil their company by bringing the good news? How can you and I be weeping for humanity when we love to eat from their tables? Yes. When our desire is to be invited and to attend their merrymaking activities. How can we be weeping for humanity? Remember those are neighbors and friends. When we are afraid of telling them the good news, we are afraid because we want them to shun us. They don't want, you don't want them to say, when it comes, you will spoil everything now by bringing Christ. How can we be weeping for humanity? When we are afraid, because we know that those friends and neighbors will end up in the lake of fire, but we enjoy an eating with them. We are dancing with them. We are, you know everything we are doing. But you deep down in your heart, you know that that person is going to hell unless you do something about it because you might be the only one who might preach to that person. He may shun you, she may shun you, but you might be the only one and nobody else and you are there for that purpose. Many of us are afraid to tell them. Because we don't want them to stop being our benefactors and friends. We choose them over God. But we say we are believers who are going to inherit the eternal bliss. I, I don't know about that. We don't want to ruffle the feathers. Either in our office, our bosses, our, who will promote us. And give us contracts. So you dare not preach the gospel because that will stop everything. We want the world's goods. But we're afraid to tell them the good news. Because we don't want them to kick us out. We don't want to stop the tap that continues to feed us. So we keep quiet. What type of heart do you and I have? The Lord is asking those who said are his children. Then when our worldly friends, you know that many of them are rich, or should be rich, and benefactors die, we run and attend their sumptuous burial ceremonies. Oh, we excel there, we preach. We are, oh yeah, this was a good man. We do it, oh, we eat, we wine and drink. We join others to mourn for them. And deep down, maybe we know that they have gone to that terrible place. Yet, you and I might have been the only ones that could have preached a gospel that could have saved him or her from that terrible place. We fail because of worldly pleasures. We fail because of the gifts we receive. We fail because we are cowards. I want these images to be with us this week. Eternal bliss is waiting. That beautiful place that we can never describe. But it is not waiting for the cowardly. And it's not waiting for worldly believers. That is certain. 
For those who choose to enjoy the worldly glamour, even if you say you're a child of God, eternal bliss will not be yours. That's why the next segment, what is your choice? Change, what is your choice? Eternal bliss or eternal or worldly glamour? Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Do not do what you put on believers. Don't believers are not just outside, also in building school churches in apostate Christianity. The idea when you are believing those people that tell you right matters, bring ten naira or ten dollars, you are going to make hundred dollars. Seed offering, they call it. You want to even enter the well-appointed jets of those geos and pastors. You love what they bring to the table, the glamour of Christianity. There's no glamour in Christianity, the true Christianity. There is no glamour in the true Christianity. Jesus wept, continues to weep. It's a false gospel that preaches glamour. It's a false gospel that takes you out on the road to eternal life. And today in churches we have all gone in there and enjoyed ourselves. Enjoying that brother and that sister. All the glory attention being paid on them. Just like the buying and selling happening in the temple when the Lord drove them out. Yet the Lord knows the day is coming. When all these things we do what? Do your duty if you're truly a child of God. We for a dying world. We for your neighbors. We for those around you so that God will open the door for you to minister to them. Rather than enjoy their parties, be obnoxious by going to them privately and preaching. Let them turn you out. When they turn you out, per adventure. God will use that humiliation to bring them to the, to the Lord. And you'll have gained the soul for the kingdom of God. Stop being cowards. Stop being cowards. Stop being cowards. Most of us are cowards. Most believers are cowards. We are not taking a rightful place in the kingdom of God. Jesus wept. He was weeping. Not because Lazarus died, because of the resurrection and the life. He was weeping for you and I, who we fail him at a crucial time. He was weeping that we are not communicating to the world. They were not living right for the world to see and embrace him. Remember, he cut off Israel. And people said the church. No, the church of the Lord is spiritual. And the children of God are not found in buildings called churches. Some may be there, but that's not what it is. The spiritual Christianity is the one Christ is the head. Not the one mammon has taken over. Whether you like it or not, that is the truth of the matter. I'm going to sing a song. The solid rock. My hope is built on nothing else. on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness because that's the only place we get our righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, whatever it is. I will always wholly lean on Jesus' name. Nothing else. Nothing else. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All underground, friends, family, sinking sand. All on the ground is taking sand. Stand on Christ, the solid rock, and you can never miss it. 
when darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. Because not all the time I'm seeing, but in every high and stormy girl, no matter the situation, up down, I know that my anchor goes within that veil, even if a veil of darkness. My trust is in him to deliver and to lead. On Christ a solid rock I stand and I invite you to stand on that rock because all other is ground is sinking sand his oath his covenant his blood support me in the waving flood wherever they come from when all around my soul gives way there is all my hope and my stay he carries me he is my God and my Father. And He does for you too, child of God. On Christ a solid rock we must all stand. Because all other ground is sinking sand. When He shall come again at a trump with a trumpet sound, oh, may I then be found in Him. Dressed in His righteousness alone, not in my works. And not in your works will lead me there. Fortless to stand before the throne of God. I invite you today, my brothers and sisters, to repent as I repent. Let us wait for a dying world. Let us be bold to confront our neighbors and friends and tell them the truth. Even at the risk of being turned away by them. Let us endure shame for his name's sake because he did endure for us. Let us weep and let us not continue to slumber or to be cowardly. Shall we pray? Our Father and our God. Your son wept so many times while on earth. Your son is at the heart of every unbeliever now, inviting them. But we, your children, are slumbering because we love the things of the world. We love being friends with the world. We love emulating those we say are our church leaders. Oh God, I am asking for forgiveness. Not just for myself, but for all who hear this message. May we start afresh. Open our eyes as we sleep or in our dreams. Open our eyes as we are before you reading the word of God, your word. Help us, Lord, to tell our neighbors the truth, to tell our friends the truth. Help us, Lord. To see the world the way you see it, you see it, that it is dying, that it's collapsing. Open eyes to know that there's nothing to be enjoyed in this world. That there's nothing to be enjoyed in this world. That's all vanity and it's all nullity. Help us to discern the world. Because we seek that kingdom, that city. Not made with human hands, the city of God. Bless your homes of their children. Bless the homes of those who will repent at the hearing of this message. And may your grace be sufficient, which we know is always sufficient, but pray for those who will believe through this message. May it lead them on the journey to eternal life. Guide our homes, O oh God. Bless your children. 
that they may look unto you only, daughter, and finish off our faith. Who for the joy that you are going to see your sons and daughters in glory and on the cross, despising the shame of God. Your mercy, O oh God, your grace, O oh God, is there. Help us to tap into them. When we fall, Lord, lift us up. And let the false messaging continue to be nullified and destroyed in those places where there are people leading your children away from the cross. We plead the blood of Jesus Christ in their homes. And we thank you, Father, for this message. For you bless all of us. Thank you for helping to prepare and giving us the words as they come out. Thank you, dear God. In Jesus' name we are prayed. Amen. Praise the Lord. I cannot continue not to emphasize that you and I must continue to read the Bible on our own. We must continue to be in the presence of God when we have the opportunity. And during the day, may we continue to meditate on His Word. And as well as we see things around us, may we continue to intercede for people around us. That is our calling. May the Lord bless you all. May His candle shine upon you all this week. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Read your Bibles. 